in the past, my style was uh, to try to bring the truth out of maybe, let's say, hard topics, things that are not so obvious. But today, uh, I will not try to entangle some hard topic. I will stay focused on the same goal, which is to bring clarity to the world. So let us pray. Uh, dear Lord, we praise your name. We are grateful for this opportunity to learn uh, your message, to learn what you have in store for us, dear Lord. Do not allow ourselves to stand in the way, either me or the rest of the audience, from the message that you have for us today. In humility we pray, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. The title of the sermon, as alluded to before, is Waiting on the Lord in Times of Trouble. I will start by saying that most of the time the Christian walk is one of waiting. We have less occasion where we receive clear directions from the Lord than situations where we are forced to reflect, ponder, uh, waiting for some clues of where the Lord wants to go. That is why I feel it is important to talk about how to wait on God. My goal is to help equip believers to face those common situations that can become spiritual stumbling blocks in our lives. There are many examples in the Bible where people have to wait for God before acting. Our nature is, for the most part, actions-oriented. We don't want to wait. But in the Bible, it is a common message from the Lord asking people to wait. Thus the question. How do we exercise discernment while waiting? This is something that is not really easy to do. Today we're going to analyze the story of Saul and Jonathan. And that our brother Juan Carlos, thank you, read for us. Our exposition of the scripture today will focus on two different approaches taken by two followers of God in the same circumstances. So this is almost an apple-to-apple -apple comparison. It's not necessarily the same, but it is a good comparison. We will analyze three points. First, we will talk about the case of Saul. Secondly, we will cover Jonathan's situation. We will put into context the difficult situation both leaders face, the options they had, and the choice they made. Thirdly, from the first two points, we will extract some take-home ideas for us today. First, uh, the case of uh, Saul. As we read in the text, the prophet Samuel instructed Saul to wait seven days as he went to Gilgal to offer the sacrifice to God before the army of Israel engages in the, in the battle against the army of the Philistines. So we know the context. The army of Israel had 3,000 men, 2,000 were with Saul in one location, and the other 1,000 were with Saul's son, Jonathan, in another location. At another location sorry. In contrast, the Philistine has 6,000 chariot riders 
and thousands upon thousands of foot soldiers. You will discover that, based on the scripture, that the people of Israel did not have even real weapon like sword. This is in the rest of the story. They were almost going to fight with their bare hands. In fact, on paper, they had zero chance. So that is why they concluded the battle was lost. There was no hope, and people started to flee. So as Samuel, who represented God, did not show up in the battlefield, the soldiers fled, leaving Saul with only 600 men. On the Philistine side, there was no change. Everybody was there. Now, why did, Saul ask, why did Samuel ask Saul to wait for him seven days while the enemy was busy preparing for battle? Samuel could have made it easy for Saul, maybe one day. But he did not. Thus, he created a test. Beloved, you cannot be a servant of the Lord and not be tested. That does not exist. As we should know, all real Christians are chosen by God and therefore have to be tested on the job. There's no vacation here. So coming back to the story, we can easily identify two opposing references which are human analysis versus God's promises. Which one do we trust? Looking at the situation in the purely human context, one has to conclude that there was no hope for Israel. However, God's inspired assessment was different. We can see it in the calm direction Samuel gave to Saul, which included three sequential steps. First, Samuel must take the time to focus on God. Second, Samuel will consult God by offering the sacrifice. And third, the people will act according to God's promise in response to the sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, having clarity in the mind does matter in our lives. We have to be able to see through the smooth screen of our feelings, of people talking. Saul should have understood the meaning of the directions that he received from Samuel. It is not enough to know what to do, but one should understand the principle at stake, and why it has to be done a certain way. Now, let us identify a few elements in the way Saul handled the situation. One key observation is that Saul's impatience came at the end of the waiting period. You have to wait seven days? Guess when he faltered? On the seventh day. One day left. Saul was obedient, as we say, for six days. So, beloved, we have to be vigilant in regard to impatience that come at the last minute. When fatigue sets in, when the situation seems lost, that's when we have to fight to, to be strong and convince our mind that the end of the ordeal is near. 
when you feel it is the end of the rope, that's when you must remember that deliverance is at the door. The next point, the next point sorry, is bo- the boredom of waiting can cause disobedience. You know, when you're bored, you, know, you do feel foolish things. Huh? Thus, we have to occupy our minds with productive thoughts and plans. The Bible did not describe what Saul and the people were doing at the time. However, we can guess that the soldier must not have been very focused on productive military activities. You're military, you think about military things. You don't think about other things. People probably had too much time to think about what is wrong, what could go wrong. Boredom became a foothold for the devil to generate doubts. Friends, do not say bored and let, for example, your cell phone as your entertainment becomes the source of your inspiration. Furthermore, as a leader, was Saul intentional in motivating the people? Did he remind them that God made the people cross the Red Sea? What, what was he talking about? Or was he almost waiting and looking into the horizon for any sign that Samuel will arrive? Probably Saul was observing his soldiers and focusing on the fact that one was living two, ten, fifteen thousand. The more people were deserting, the more panicked Saul became. Friends, panic usually generates a misinterpretation of facts. In, in this case, Saul misinterpreted the meaning of the sacrifice to the Lord. The power of the sacrifice did not reside in the rituals, but in the fact that the sacrifice was empowered by God. Therefore, without the right connection to God, the sacrifice carried by any person would be meaningless. Besides, panic brings confusion, which causes us to mix up the reference, our reference system. We mix up things. Which reference are we? God, the world, we, don't, we become confused. If Saul knew that based on human analysis, he was going to lose the battle, then it was clear that the sacrifice was his only chance. Saul should have known that he could not force God's hands. If the sacrifice was necessary to change the outcome of the battle, Therefore, one could assume it was essential to do it as commanded by God. So Saul performed the disobedient sacrifice anyways because he interchanged his references. Saul offered the sacrifice only to go through the motion to encourage his men to say. This was mainly a human mind game. In Saul's mind, Panic of the flesh took over the spiritual place of faith. You see, friends, our spiritual decisions must make sense by being aligned with our spiritual references. As our second point, we're going to analyze the case of Jonathan. 
Jonathan's situation was as dire as his dad's. He was initially in charge of half the troops under his dad's command. His physical location was more vulnerable. There was a cliff on each side of the passage he has to go through to reach the enemy outpost. You see, there was a, lo- there was a logical reason why the Philistine would stay there. You know, on the battlefield, if uh, it makes an attacker's job easier to be on top, you know, you can go down versus the other way around. So, what a dilemma. Uh, dilemma. By the time Jonathan would have reached the top of the cliff, he would have been tired and less ready to fight. Besides, when he got there, let's say something went wrong, there's no way out. So now that we've set up the situation, let us see how Jonathan approached it. We can make a few observations about Jonathan's decision-making. First, Jonathan decided to put himself at risk without his man. He was willing to sacrifice his own life to try to to deliver everyone. You see, in desperate situations, there are decisions that one must make alone. You have to go alone. Sometimes, if one is the only one who can foresee the light, if you are the only one who can imagine the path, you have to go alone. Furthermore, we see that Jonathan gave himself a clear criteria of reference by which he would go forward with his plan. We did not read it, but I'm going to go quickly. Jonathan said, come on, then we will cross over. This is 1 Samuel verses 8 to 10. We will come quickly. We will cross over toward them and let them see us. If they see us, wait there until we came to you. We will stay there. And we will not go to them. But if they say, come to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them in our hands. We're not sure how Jonathan came to this particular conclusion that the Lord, you know, uh, will, will be decided by that. We're not sure. However, you see, Jonathan chose the most difficult and stringent criteria. Beloved, when we want to move by faith with, with a difficult situation or with a difficult decision, we have to give ourselves a clear and hard success objective. You want to start a ministry, a mission, or anything else? Do not look for all kinds of supernatural signals from the Lord. Why not propose to God that if you get the money needed, Within a certain time, then you would know it is okay to move ahead. This is a simpler plan to evaluate. I can tell you, I've tried that, and I'm not saying it's worked for everyone everywhere. I've tried it, hard core values, and to my surprise, the Lord delivered. So it was easy afterward to say, oh, what I've asked, within the time it happens, it's from the Lord. I didn't have to scratch my head. It was clear because the criteria was clear. So, 
You might have uh, heard about, uh, I have to go a bit faster, I'm having a good time, I'm taking my time. <laughs> we, we have to, you might have heard about uh, the joke, uh, a Christian who was in a dire situation during the flood. And then as the water rose, he climbed up to the roof, uh, and then a, a canoe came by and offered to take him. He said, no, I, wanted to, I want to experience God's great, great salvation. And a rescue helicopter drove by for a final evacuation. Oh, he said, no, you can go under the same assumption. But of course, the inevitable occurred, and he drowned. So when he went to heaven, he asked the Lord, oh, Lord, why didn't you save me? Then the Lord to reply, I sent you a canoe. You said, no. I sent you an helicopter. You say no. So why do you want me to do? <laughs> so, jokes aside, we all have to be discerning about our references. Clarity is a reliable and valuable thing. We must make sense of spiritual matters. It's not like something, there's a cloud, there's angels going on. I have to make sense of something. I'm a human, I have a brain, I have to make sense of what is being presented in front of me. I have to make sense of this idea that comes into my mind. Is it compatible with the Lord's message? Is it compatible with what is in the Bible? If it is not, it's the flesh that brings me this idea. It's not from the Lord. Because the Lord cannot bring me an idea that is in contradiction with his words. It's not possible. I don't have to pray. I don't have to. It's not possible. It's not from the Lord. End of the story. So, now, on, the, on another note, we all see that as a military man, Jonathan took the initiative to engage the Philistines with no direct command from God. God did not ask him to go. He devised a plan of attack based on his normal human skills. He's a military man. So, that's what military people do. Now that we, he made this bold and questionable, it was a questionable decision to go there and say, if they come down, no, it was questionable. But he made the decision, but now let's see, let's analyze the thought patterns that led to this decision. First, Jonathan properly identified the enemy. The Philistines were not merely the neighbors, the guy next door. No, they were uncircumcised, clarity. Which means people outside of God's family. Not like the guy that I went to school with this guy. No, this guy is not part of God's family, clarity. By calling the Philistine uncircumcised, Jonathan made them primarily enemies of God. And not just enemies of Israel. Jonathan knew where people should stand in relation to God. You cannot be neutral toward God. God's desire is for everyone he created to serve him. So you have to be a follower and servant of God, or you are outside of God's will. Secondly, Jonathan acknowledged God's sovereignty by saying, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Perhaps. This was not a merely 50-50% chance analysis. Jonathan did believe that God can decide, can decide sorry, to act 
or not to act. And this is based solely on his own will. We cannot influence him. He does whatever he wants. He's God. If and when God decides to act, it is not to humans to force or try to manipulate him. It is up to God to save or not to save. To protect or to let perish. To heal or not to heal. It is up to God because he's sovereign. We have to believe that whatever God decides, God knows best and trust that he can wisely at his discretion decide when and if to intervene. Thirdly, Jonathan acknowledged God's power in saying that nothing prevents the Lord from saving whether with many or a few. Yes, this thought of Jonathan's is the proper assessment of God's position in the affairs of man. The result of God's action does not depend on human collaboration, human participation, or preparation. Oh, I'm prepared, I'm this, I'm prepared. God does not need anybody. With a single Jonathan and his companion, God can indeed wipe out the tens of enemies in the outpost. Yeah, Jonathan said, you know, this God, this great God doesn't need a lot. can decide to wipe out everybody with only me. It can be foolish to act on that, but the understanding is right. By all these accounts, we can see that Jonathan had a better understanding of God than his father. Friends, remember that God would uphold the right understanding that we have about him. So we have to know God first. Whenever a Christian acts based on a correct understanding of God, the actions that would be inspired by this understanding rest on solid ground. This is not to say that there is a guarantee of success. But God would most likely compensate our weaknesses and lack of foresight in such a case. We have the proper vision. As humans, we can make a mistake. That's when God will intervene to correct, help us. The correct vision first. This is uh, why, as Christians, we must know our Father and God and His character. We must know the character of God. Very important. Because in time of troubles and silence, this is the only guide you will have. This is the only guide I will have. The character of God. Now, having compared and analyzed the actions of these two men, and we're going to try to remember something in the message for ourselves. You know, I said a lot of stuff. Let's try to remember the following. And this will be my conclusion. One, I would like to start with a warning. This bold call call to actions that that I encourage or that the sermon encourages is not a call to recklessness and irresponsible behaviors. Of course, personally, uh, let's say I cannot afford a $2 million house. I cannot count on the Lord because he's a provider to pay for my bill. 
that would be foolish. Because, what is the principle? God, it is not part of God's character to encourage human indulgence and pride. So why would God encourage my pride? Why would God subsidize my, 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 my pride? He would not do that. It's not part of the character of God to do such thing. So if you want some foolish action, some foolish need, don't count on God to help. He won't do it. Two, all real Christians are chosen by God and therefore have to be tested. Test is not something abnormal. It is normal. There's nothing wrong or strange about trials if, of course, they are not the direct consequences of our disobedience. If I go steal some money and then they put me in jail, I cannot say, oh, I'm, I'm on trial. This is a trial from the Lord. That's not a trial. This is the consequences of my sin. God is out of it. But real trials that are from the Lord, we know they have to come. Three, the proper Christian walk is not a matter of having all the clues, but one of trusting God. It is not a matter of knowing the plan. You know everything. But of assurance that the outcome appointed by God will surely take place. Four. Our Christian work is not one of working, of working in our comfort zone. But one of walking on a tight rope. Doing that tight rope. When we are in a, on, a, in a particular, or on a particular tight rope, this is not the time to quit. Remember, this is not the time to lose patience. This is the best time for the Lord to display his power in our favor for his own glory. Five, let us not play mind game with the Lord. As Christians, we not only have to know things about God, but we have to understand what those things are saying about God's attributes and character. This is at the root of our faith, as I mentioned before. Six, in a situation that demands actions, when you don't have a sure insight from the Lord, it is a reasonable approach to act with confidence based on past revelation and past decision that glorified God's character. The Bible is full of the story. Sometimes stories of foolishness, this and that. Why? Because those are human. God's want us to know. We can take example. I might be in a difficult situation. I remember Jonathan, and I get inspired by the principle I seek so I can act. Seven and last point. You want to do something that you know is commendable? Based on the Bible teaching, so after much prayer, why not boldly come forward and act or serve? You don't have to have all the details. This would be walking by sight. If I have everything, oh, that would be walking by sight. What you need is the confidence that your actions align with God's attribute and glorify his name. This is your guarantee. This should give us the confidence to act. Let us pray. Oh, thank you, dear Father. Thank you for your grace and love. Uh, please continue to teach us, uh, dear Lord Jesus.
and in your name we pray.